Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, your uh, two shows in one edition. Promise, I promise, we recorded a reaction show on Sunday night. It got eaten by the internet monster. We don't know where it went. It was 48 minutes of Pulitzer Prize winning discussion on Mizzou football. I, I swear. And it just disappeared. So... Here is the midweek show. We'll talk a little bit about LSU. We'll talk about Kentucky. We'll talk about the decommitment. We're going to give you what you want to hear. BK, how are you doing? Uh, doing all right. Recovering from a little bit of a sickness. So um, I will make my way through this as we go. If there is anything that I say that appears to be incoherent, that is on me. Uh, that is mostly on my health, though. So uh, blame it on that. It's not me being a big dummy. You can blame that on other weeks, but not this week. Yeah, for sure. That's okay. Uh, so let's talk about the decommitment. Let's get the stinky stuff out first. Uh, remember Julian Marks? It goes by Juju. He's from St. Thomas Aquinas in Kansas. Blue chipper, uh, class of 2025, who committed back in September. And we're like, oh, cool. Seems early, but uh, this is great. Glad to have a four-star in the 2025 recruiting class. Yeah, he did, he did committed about six minutes ago before we started recording. And the least surprising move of all time a 17-year-old found out that he can go to other schools and get the royal treatment uh, multiple times and be treated like a little king if he were to decommit and, and do that. And so he did, and he will. And frankly, I encourage him to do it. I think you and I are both on the record of go take your recruiting trips. Uh, we just hope that at the end of the day, he realizes his first choice was the best choice. So uh, good luck, Julian. BK, what are your thoughts on this? I same basically um it anytime you see a 2025 kid commit this early you wonder especially when they're not in-state kids is this going to last or is this going to be something where it's like a placeholder kind of thing and it appears that he just got caught up in the moment of mizzou versus k-state super exciting win you i mean think about you when you were 17 years old and some of the things that you said or did and it was all heat of the moment and he decided I blacked out my 17 year old self at all times. It, it, sure. Yeah. He decided, you know what? After thinking about it, basically, since the moment that I committed, uh, it probably makes more sense for me as a six foot, whatever, eight, 275 pound gentleman who is a four star recruit that can go to a lot of different places. Maybe I should actually explore those other options. Honestly, it's good for Mizzou as well, because now, you know, like, hey, you can't really count on that as being a thing for next year. Let's go ahead and uh, continue our recruitment here and see what we got. You can't count on it, and if he comes back, you know at least he explored all of his options, which in the end is what you want. And then it's the transfer portal, baby. Even if you don't get him the first time, maybe you get him the second time. Like all of this stuff, recruiting never stops, both for the coaches building their rosters and for the individual players. You think people stop talking to these kids once they commit to a school in the era of the transfer portal? Please, if you believe that, I got some beachfront property in Missouri that I'm going to sell you because they are in constant contact. And the reason they take all of these trips and the coaches allow all of these trips is that they know there is a return trip somewhere down the line, potentially. So you just keep that relationship going, baby. It's just like any other recruiting. So good on you, Juju. You're going to have a couple of awesome weekends, and I'm so excited for you. <laughs> and then I hope you pick Mizzou. Uh, but yeah, that's that's basically the big one, the the breaking news uh, before we hit record here. Let's talk about LSU. I know it wasn't great. 
I know you all didn't get to hear our actual reaction, so let's talk about it a little bit. Missouri did lose. And inevitably, losing a football game is monumentally worse than winning a football game. Missouri showed that they could beat anybody even if they're not on their A-plus game, which is a good thing. We've also known that if Missouri's not on their A-plus game, they can also lose to anybody. So it's a very wide-variance team. And really, in my mind, you know, the first half is what it was. It looked awesome. The second half did not seem as awesome. But to me, it really came down to the two interceptions because you lost the game by 10 points, and those two interceptions directly led to 14 points. You can, you can quibble about everything else that happened in the game, and that's fine. I think it really came down to that. And the issue at hand is that Missouri's defense doesn't force turnovers, and Missouri's offense up to LSU hadn't really created any, and that's what, in the end, what, what bit them. Yeah, I mean, so much of it defensively came down to Jaden Daniels is awesome. And if you listened to our show that now no longer exists, we broke this down for like 30 minutes. Um, we'll do that instead in like five. Um, but Jaden Daniels is spectacular. And he creates seams when there are none. He is able to find the opening, whether it's getting up the middle and running over an offensive lineman and jumping over them and then finding himself 35 yards down the field, or spinning out of the pocket, finding a way to avoid the defensive end that was coming basically skate free and finds a way to the edge where he then runs for 40 more yards. Like he's just, he's unbelievable. And you will not see another quarterback like him the rest of the way. Now, that being said, it wasn't all Jaden Daniels. The defense also just missed way too many tackles and blew a couple of coverages. And when you have those kinds of things against an offense like LSU's, it's going to look pretty ugly at times. We knew that it was going to be a very high scoring game. And it ended up kind of going the way that we thought it would. It, Mizzou just didn't have anything left in the second half. And LSU had everything left in the second half. They did. We said it was going to be hold on to your butts kind of defense. And for the first half, Missouri did a great job of attacking that offense and holding them in check for about one quarter. And then LSU woke up. And if I remember correctly, let me double check my math here. Yep. They had, in the first quarter, they had a 44% success rate, which is, I'm not even kidding, 14% less than what they averaged coming into the game. So that was an astronomical feat. They then ripped off a 55% success rate in the second quarter, 60% in the third quarter, and even despite all those big explosive plays in the fourth, merely 37% success rate in the fourth quarter. So they are overly reliant on explosive plays just like Missouri was. We saw them happen. Uh, Eli Drinkwood cited, just like you said, a couple of uh, blown assignments during zone coverage for a couple of those touchdowns and also just bad angles. Like you said, the game is about blocking and tackling at its core. Missouri is not nearly as good as tackling as they were last year and not nearly as good at creating havoc. Uh, at the end of the day for this game, their havoc rate was 13.3%. That's not the worst they've ever done. 9% was the worst they ever done against Abilene Christian, but it's and it's not even the lowest of this year because it was 12% against South Dakota. But you can get away with a win against a South Dakota or an Abilene Christian with a havoc rate and you know hovering around 10. You cannot do that against what is now the third best offense in the country. Okay. You need to have active hands. You need to blow things up. And Missouri can get close, but they just can't finish the deal. So I've heard a lot of discussion about this in recent days, and I think all of it is fair because people are wondering what happened. Like, why is this defense worse than it was a year ago, right? 
we all know the story about the edge rushers. Like you lost personnel there. That's that's one spot where it makes sense that you would take a significant step back. And they have. Like they don't have the same edge rush as they had last year. What about elsewhere? Why are they taking a step back in other spots? Well, in this game, one spot, and we learned more about this earlier today, as we heard from Eli Drinkwitz, Ennis Rakestraw had to miss most of the second half of this game due to a groin injury. He is expected to miss the game against Kentucky as well. That sucks because he's a really freaking good corner, Mm -hmm. and he had an awesome start to the game against LSU. If you want to see one thing as to why things went awry in the second half against LSU, that's part of it. He wasn't in there any longer, and they were blowing more coverages as a result. So that's part of it. Um, another piece to this is that Johnny Walker Jr., who is your best defensive end, at least in terms of the pass rush side of things, he was booted from the game, deservingly so. He earned that. And then the third thing, and this is just bigger picture-wise, what's gone wrong for them, a lot of the guys that played well for them last year just aren't playing as well this year. I don't think Tyron Hopper's playing as well as he did last year. Chad Bailey's not playing well like he was last year. Who's that? Chad Bailey. Agreed. And I think that at least is health-related. I can't really explain the Tyron Hopper one. Maybe it's health as well, but he just – he doesn't look like the same guy. Um, I think when you look at the defensive tackles, I don't think you're getting quite as much disruption as you did last year. I think Christian Williams is a big piece of that. I think last year he was like the unsung hero of the defensive line this year. I haven't really noticed him as much, to be totally honest with you. Um, I think the safeties have taken a massive step back from where they were last year. And when you add that all up, that's where your defense kind of goes from being top 25, 35 in the country to, what are they now, 40, 45-ish? Well, it's 38. It is a 20-spot drop from when Oof. they entered to when they got out. Yeah, and that's that's how it happens, is yeah. by a lot of guys taking a slight step back. Not huge regression, but a slight step back from where they were last year. People are going to be people. They are inconsistent by nature. And if you are a coach, manager, uh, responsible for any team, you know that working with people is – and Eli Drinkwitz has said this multiple times. It's 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 not a straight line. A line doesn't just go up over time, right? You have peaks, you have valleys, you have res- your regressions, you have leaps. And like I said in my count the ifs in the off season, one of the things that was required for Missouri to have a great year – was for this defense to not regress at all because it was dynamite last year, top 20 last year, and now it's top 40. That's part of it, and and that's not a bad thing. It's just going to happen. You know, if you ever played the NCAA football games, like you would have a player who was rated one thing, and he would always be like a 79 or an 83. You never deviate from that. And like every year he'd go from 83 to 85 to 89 and then get in, you're like, oh, this is great. You know, just, just everybody gets better over time. That's, that's just not how people work, especially college kids. So regression is going to happen in this defense as of right now is not as good as it was last year. They have six games to turn it around and maybe get a little bit more havoc. get a little bit better at, at tackling, but that tends to not be a problem that fixes itself in the middle of the season. Sometimes you see, uh, Pressures from pass rush turn into sacks because they are very close to each other and what can actually happen. Outside of that, you kind of are what you are once the season hits. And if we just need to be used to Mizzou being an elite rush defense and a bit of a problem in pass defense, then six games into the year, maybe we just need to be comfortable with that sort of thing. It is. Um, and I I think the other question to be asked is how does Blake Baker adjust 
because we know how he wants to operate defensively and he wants to blitz and he wants to do all of these things that create havoc. But what happens when none of those things are creating the havoc that you need? Do you then just become more of that amoeba style defense? Do they have the personnel to be an amoeba style defense? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you do, but I think that's going to be something that if you're Blake Baker, whether it's going into this week or maybe more likely after that bye week, after they play South Carolina, Mm-hmm. probably self-evaluate self-scout a little bit and find out okay for this last month of the season is there anything that we can do with our defense that is a little different than what it had been previously and a lot of that will also come down to you know when you're not playing against Jaden Daniels are the same yeah. issues still yeah. there yep. when you go up against a Devin Leary and a Spencer Rattler do you look a little better defensively it's entirely possible that that blitzing starts to look better against those two teams than it did against Jaden Daniels for sure now, on the flip side, we've always talked about the defense and its adventures in this game. The offense. The offense was great, and especially in the first half. And then as time went on, it just got less effective. If you want to go off of success rates, that's kind of how my, my, my cheat code on how I figure individual quarters went. Missouri came out in the first quarter with a 60% success rate. Second quarter, 39%. Third quarter, 53%. Fourth quarter, 40%, just a flat 40. So what changed? What changed? Well, for number one, after about the first five drives, LSU's defense started putting Harold Perkins, renowned pass rusher, on Luther Burden, all-world receiver. And it worked. It worked really well. Um, When I... (laughs) When we talked about Harold Perkins throughout, um, I guess it was the last show, we talked about how it was a misallocation of resources because he was such a good pass rusher and they insisted on playing him at like a middle linebacker spot. But lo and behold, you know, your five-star wonder athlete can actually hang with a slot receiver. Uh, He was in under coverage when that first interception happened. Uh, Brady Cook was targeting Luther Burden trying to float it over, and Harold Perkins just, you know, jumped a million miles in the air and snagged it out of the air. But he also was really good at eliminating those crossing patterns, and he was right there for those screen passes. If you looked at Luther Burden's production in the first half versus the second half, now I want to remind you, he was targeted 19 times in this game. This was not a, oh, they forgot to throw it to Luther. This was, Luther was erased by Harold Perkins. Luther had eight catches for 99 yards in the first half. He had two catches for like 37 yards, and one of those catches went for 40. So you understand that Harold Perkins erased Luther Burden. I don't know what that means going forward. I know LSU has NFL caliber players on their roster, and I know Luther Burden's an NFL caliber receiver. But again, even with Luther being erased, Mizzou hunt around. But when I said after the Memphis game, like the way you beat Mizzou is to eliminate Luther Burden, hope the offensive line penalties catch up at the worst possible time. That's yeah. what happened, and Mizzou lost. Yeah, and um, the other thing that I would say is they didn't seem to have as much of a counter, Mizzou. And I think one thing that you'll see them do in the future, maybe, I could be wrong here, is maybe lean a little bit more on the running game. When you leave that game and you see, okay, you were leading for the majority of it. And this is not me second-guessing the passing. They should have been passing. It was working. But 
Cody Schrader had 13 carries for 114 yards. Yeah. The running game was working in this one. Um, looking back, you could have gotten him more involved. And maybe that was the move in the second half was to adjust by saying, okay, they've got Luther clamps down. We need to find our next gear. What do we do to what, what's our counter here? Um, and Mizzou didn't seem to really have much of one. And it, it could in the future be going a little bit more towards the uh, the running game. It, it, yeah, it definitely worked. Um, Cody Schrader had six carries in the first quarter, seven in the – or sorry, for six carries in the first half, seven carries in the second half. Uh, Brady Cook cannot run. Uh, on the broadcast, Bob Wischusen said that he had a fractured knee, not just like a bruise, which is a way different deal. It means that he should not be running ever. So Brady Cook's not going to be part of the run game. Okay. You have Cody Schrader. You still have Nathaniel Pete. And, yeah, I mean, it wasn't all that much. Now, it was effective because LSU was actively looking for the run. Right. Or, sorry, for the pass. And, like, when Cody ran, they're like, oh, oh God. You know, it just, uh, who's that guy running for 52 yards? Like, uh, which was in the third quarter, mind you. So it, it, it was effective because they weren't expecting it. Now, if you start moving more towards it, they start reacting and going, okay, we can look for this now. But it's not like Mizzou was doing all their passing out of play action. You know, it was very, we're clearly going to throw here. So I think there are some elements you can bring in to try and keep offenses on their toes, knowing that your quarterback is not mobile like it was last year, knowing that at some point you are going to have to punch left-handed rather than right-handed. Um, and yes, you would like to see more of that, but it, it did work wonders. And oh my God, just FYI, Missouri had its second best rushing success rate of the year, first best against FBS competition, a 52.6% success rate, as opposed to the passing rate, which was 46.8. So something to look at. <sighs> I think I'm done talking about LSU. Are you Me done too, talking buddy. about LSU? Yeah. We got something else to freak out about, okay? Because we got to go to Kentucky uh... now. We got to go to Kentucky. What does now, it say that I, I was and am more worried and concerned about Kentucky than I was about LSU? Now, they lost to LSU. I get it. Like, you can make your jokes, whatever. But that was a 50-50 game. I, I hate yeah. playing Kentucky. I hate it so much. I know you do. I, I prefer you be nervous about games, frankly. Okay. Number one, that's me at my heart. <laughs> uh, number two, when you feel confident about stuff, I don't trust you. It's fair. But again, I am a skeptic. Mr. I've earned Trump. that. Um, so things about Kentucky. Well, this is the best defense that Missouri is going to face all year outside of Georgia. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, should have caveated that. This is certainly the best defense they've faced so far this year. Kansas State is 37th. Uh, again, Missouri is 38th. So just to give you an idea of kind of the caliber of defense they're going up against, this is a top 20 unit. Here's the thing about Kentucky, BK. We know this defense. It's a Mark Stoops defense. It's the same thing that it's been for the past 11 years. They rush for, they play a shell in the back, and the linebackers clean up everything in the middle. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always going to be. They might have the names and like the, the, the individual roles different, but they don't deviate from that. Very much Gary Pinkle, we do what we do. We find the players to do these roles, and we, and we go and get shit. Great. On offense, this is the curious part because they brought back their best offensive coordinator of the past 20 years. 
They landed the most coveted, one of the most coveted quarterbacks in this transfer class. They got a dynamite running back who was overlooked and ended up at Vanderbilt is now at Kentucky. They brought, they have three four-star receivers in their starting receiving core. They have two blue chippers on their offensive line and they stink. I mean, I guess they don't stink. They are overly reliant on explosive plays, which is not what Kentucky is. If you remember Missouri's offense from 2021, when it was Tyler Beatty go off for 20 yards per play, that's what this is. This is the second best rushing explosive offense in the country with Ray Davis just randomly going for 21 or 30. And this is uh, an explosive passing offense where it's, you know, Dan Key or Barry Brown just like, all right, just randomly turn the screen into 38 yards. And then they can't do anything in between that. So it is, again, another explosive offense versus Missouri's explosive-prone defense and one of the best defenses in the country going to get up against a Missouri offense that feels a little humbled after last week. This is why we're worried. Okay. So can we start with the offense? Because their offense specifically. I, I want to talk about this. Nothing about it makes sense. Two weeks ago against Florida – Ray Davis went for 280 yards. He has something resembling 280 yards the rest of the season combined. Devin Leary over the last three weeks, again, like you said, one of the most sought after guys in the transfer portal because he was really good at NC State when healthy. First few weeks of the season, you look at it, you're like, okay, 240, 299, 315. Now they're going up against Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, the non-con games, kind of similar to Mizzou's for the most part, where it's like, okay, yeah, these are blood donor games. But then you get into the SEC, 205 against Vandy, 69 passing yards against Florida. Nice. 128 yards against Georgia. This passing game is not what it was supposed to be. And outside of really a one-off against Florida, the running game hasn't been either. So I, I don't know what to make really of this offense, but outside of like a one-off here or there, it has been bad basically the entirety of the season Devin Leary's completing like just over 50 percent of his passing attempts I th- this is a strange passing game a strange offense and you're right they do get some explosives here and there but for the most part it's it doesn't really move all that often he has the 120th ranked completion rate there's only 133 teams in the country he's 120th That is worse than the Power Five, almost the worst in college football. And it's not like they're just throwing bombs because his average net yards per attempt is 6.9. That's not good. Like, you're not going deep and you're not making it, man. And you have good four-star receivers that you're throwing to. You have a really good tight end that you don't even really use. I, I don't... It's it's big plays or nothing. And Missouri is really good at giving up big plays, but they're also really good at punishing you if you can't do anything else. That's the thing. I, I do wonder, is Kentucky going to lean on that running game against Missouri? And if they do, to. like, listen, man, I, I know LSU had some success on the ground last week, but let's be honest, the real success came on the ground with their quarterback and came mm-hmm. on through the air with explosive plays to some of the best receivers in the country. Yeah. I, I think Kentucky will find some success against Mizzou. Like, I, I'd yeah. be pretty surprised if they don't put up, like, 24, 27 points in this game. I think that's what Mizzou fans should be expecting. I do not have the same level of confidence that they're going to have success 
consistently against Missouri's defense the way that I did with LSU. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have to hope that the running game can take off. And yeah, LSU's offensive line could do it. Kentucky's has the pedigree, but I mean, if you look at their offensive line stats, um, it's not, it's not anything that's like super impressive. Um, if you look at, at like the the line penalties per game, they're just right there with Missouri. They're not all that great. Uh, they, you know, that's that's not a good start anyway. On blitzing downs, they give up they give up sacks on blitzing downs. Like it's very apparent what's going to happen. Um, if if you're in a position where the defense is going to blitz, they have a 25 percent success rate. That is 101st in the country. 101st. You know. Well, okay, it's a Kentucky offensive line that likes to run a lot. Well, they must, you know, they must have a really good success rate. I bet they do really good in short yard situations. No, they don't. Power success rate, like middle of the pack. And then stuff rate, the number of runs that get stuffed at or behind the line, they're 84th in the country. 20% of the time, they're getting blown up. That's my issue with people talking about how great Ray Davis has been this year. Ray Davis has had two great games this year, really. I I guess technically three. But – most of his success has come against Akron, mm-hmm. Ball State, and then the one-off like outlier performance where I'm not taking anything away from it. He was spectacular against Florida. But, man, my, my dude ran 17 times for 78 yards against Vanderbilt. Am I supposed to be overly impressed by that? Like, I, it's just, it, it's been a really strange season in every possible way. Now, George is tough. You're not going to have success on the ground against them. But he he also didn't have any level of success on the ground against Georgia last week. So if you're Mizzou and you're Blake Baker and you're going into a game like this, one of the reasons why I think what we're talking about here matters is because I don't have a massive concern about them consistently hitting passing plays against me the way that like for all of the explosives that LSU puts together in the passing game, it's also their consistency in the passing game that kills you. Like they'll get a seven yard slant route and be fine with it. And then continue to just bat, 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 bat right down the field. Right. With Kentucky, one of the things that their inability to put together regular successful plays does for you as a defense is you can kind of load the box a little bit. Now you can have Daylon Carnell instead of him kind of like veering out towards that slot receiver you can have him playing more in the box in this game, which I think probably suits him a little better. And you can just, you can play a little bit of one-on-one on the outside with your receivers with the the safeties going with the two, two deep shell potentially over the top. I, I think that's the kind of thing you could see a little bit more of in this game is whether they're playing cover two or cover one and bringing one of those safeties down. I, I think they're going to be able to play a little bit more in the box against Kentucky than what they were willing or able to do against LSU. And I think you can get away with that this week, especially because even with Ennis Rakestraw being out, even with that, you know, one of the big problems with Missouri's receivers against LSU is that their success rate was the lowest that we've seen all year. Luther Burden was at a 30% success rate when thrown to, Theo Weiss was 35. You know, like, yeah, they were getting their yards, but it wasn't getting what you needed. It's very similar with Kentucky's receivers. Their success rates have been, you know, 40%, 42%. You know, their top two receivers are Barry and Brown and Dane Key, four-star guys. They were awesome last year. Barry and Brown has a 13.5% drop rate. My God. 
Dengki has a 25% drop rate. These are your top two targets. 41 targets for Barry and Brown, 34 for Dengki. A quarter of Dengki's passes are just up right off the finger. Sorry. Dropped it. So there's your numbers that go with what I was just trying to say. Load the box. They can't catch it. <laughs> and, like, again, it's not deep stuff. Like, the majority of the routes that Barry and Brown and Dan Key run, Dan Key's running 55% of his on a short route. Barry and Brown's running 35% short, 35% intermediate. They're not going deep. They're just not catching the ball. So, I... It's the Liam Cohen offense, right? It's your typical one tight end, one wide or one running back in there. And we're going to have a slot receiver that we're going to target all day long. And we're going to run some of this like jet orbit motion, all that stuff. Like it's, it's the same offense that you, you've come to know and appreciate at Kentucky over the years. But you need same a Wandale stuff. Robinson. Correct. Yeah. In the NFL. And I guess Dan Key and Barry and Brown are not that. So you need a Luther to, to make that offense yes. work. You you need a Luther burden. Yeah. And their slot guy, uh, he's, his name is Tavian Robinson. He is, you know, he doesn't have the most targets, but he's got the most yards of 317. He's got the best success rate, best yards per target. He has no drops and all of his stuff is short. So yeah. it, you can, you can find him, you can smack him. So load the box, play tight. You know, maybe you don't need to create pressure. You can just swat away at the pass lanes and, and get him in the backfield that way. So there is hope for this really randomly bad offense. On defense, I think I want to stick with the offense. Oh, what else do you have? No, I'm kidding. But okay. All right. I would rather talk about the offense. I know. But here's the thing. This is going to be a great test for Luther and Theo. Can you get a big play against a defense that does not give you big plays at all? They will give you three. They will give you five. They will give you four or six. They will punch you in the face if you try and go for nine or more every single time, and they break it up. So, you know, this is this is the test. And how does Kirby Moore respond? Does he, does he say, hey, we're going efficiency heavy. Do not worry about it. We'll get you. Luther, you'll get 20 touches for like 88 yards, uh, and it's going to be the Cody and Nathaniel show. Uh, just run, 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 and hope that something breaks. I don't know what the answer is. Famously, not an offense coordinator, not huh. paid to be one, so it's not really my 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 job to figure it out. But I am curious how they decide to attack this defense because Eli's had three cracks at it. One of them worked, and two of them have not. And I'm really curious what his uh, approach with Kirby is going to be for this game. So it's weird, right? Because against Georgia, they just shredded them through the air. And that's not the kind of thing you typically expect against a Kentucky pass defense. It's just getting lit up to the tune of more than 400 yards through the air. Even against Florida, man. Have you looked at the numbers from that game? No, not close. Florida went 25 for 30 through the air for 245 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Hmm. It's like a really solid day. I mean, it's not spectacular. It's nothing to write home about. Graham Mertz went for that? That is insane. That is a very efficient, Mm. completing passes all day long, take what the defense gives you, and feel okay about your offense. Yeah. Now, the running game was congested. 30 carries for 70 yards. They didn't get really much of anything done uh, Mm. on the ground. That's what I expect to happen against this kind of a defense, even with Mizzou. But if Missouri can be efficient like that, if they can, if they're willing to take what the defense is giving them, 
there are plays to be made. Over the last two weeks, this defense has forced a total of 14 incompletions, and they were targeted 72 times. They have given up more than 650 yards through the air, 675 yards through the air. That's against mm-hmm. Florida and Georgia. Mm-hmm. So moral of the story, they're beatable. This is not a defense that is like completely impossible to move the ball against. You just can't do it on the ground. And so Missouri has to go into this thing prepared for that. Now, keep the ground game going, allow that play action passing game to continue to be successful. But it, that's really just to keep them honest more than it is anything else. Don't count on Cody Schrader going for a bunch of yards in this one. This is a game that you need to win on the back of Brady Cook. Boy. I mean, he can do it. We know he can. It's, you know, fighting the third route. Mookie Cooper was probably, was definitely the most successful receiver against LSU because Theo and Luther were getting wiped out. And Mookie, over his seven targets, got seven catches for almost 100 yards. So, like, that, you have to find that sort of thing or just generate opportunities like what the defense is giving you. Uh, but yeah, Brady not being able to run makes me very sad because this feels like a game where he could really have taken advantage of 100% shell defense covering your receivers. All right, here's where I go. I don't know what you do when you have a fractured knee. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not feeling good about it. I think it's like in the thirties is going to win it. And I think it's going to be a frustrating offensive day, just kind of across the board. And it's a, Defense dictates how this goes. And the, the over-under for this game is 52 and a half. Did you see Jeez. that? Jeez. Wow. That feels a little low to me. That's extremely low. That's like 21, 24-21. F- 52 and a half? Oh, 52 and a half. Well, okay. <laughs> it's like, Nate, you're the math guy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm terrible with numbers. You know that. No, okay. Yeah, I okay, it still seems yeah. low because I think it's going to be like 35, 32. I know. That's, yeah. You know, I was thinking like 31, 27, something like that. Um, but somewhere in that range, I think, is kind of kind of what you're looking at for a game like this. I think there will be some offensive success um, more so than there has been in previous years, because I don't think this Missouri defense is as good as it was last year. I don't think Kentucky's defense is quite as good as it was last year. And I think Missouri's offense is significantly better than it was in previous years. Now, one other thing I do want to bring up, uh, Nate, about Missouri's offense against Kentucky's defense. One thing Kentucky has been pretty darn good about is creating turnovers. Mm. You, uh, you need to avoid that in this game because yeah. possessions are the lifeblood of a game like this because Kentucky loves holding on to the ball and they love not allowing you to do the same. So um, <clears throat> that could also be part of why like a, a point spread or a, uh, a point total in a game like this is lower is because they don't expect a ton of possessions between these two teams um, because of Kentucky's ability to prevent the long ball, all those sorts of things. They, they make you drive seven, 10 plays repeatedly and, um, you cannot turn the ball over in this game. One or fewer turnovers, and it would be really helpful if you could finally create one of your own. So, Bill C., the godfather, has a metric called turnovers luck. And I know there are a bunch of shops out there that do a lot of different advanced analytics at this point, and they all have their own definition of what turnover luck should be. But in Bill's eyes, 
our dear blog father, he says that in college, you should recover, if there's a forced fumble somewhere, you should recover about half of them, okay? And if you defense a pass, right, you get your hand in there, you swat it away, or you're in a position to do so, in college, about one out of every three passes defensed is going to get picked off, okay? that That's the parameters that he operates off of. So if you go off of that, do you know how many fumbles Missouri has recovered this year, BK? Just oh, take a it guess. It can't be many, but what is it? It's zero. It's zero. And of all of the passes that they have defensed, they've only had four interceptions on the year. So Missouri yeah, should be. Are three of those Chris Abrams drained? Three are Chris Abrams drained. One is Marcus Clark. Okay. No one else has gotten anywhere close. So Mizzou, with all the fumbles that they have featured uh, that have been in their games and all of the passes that they have defensed, they should be at about plus 0.5. Like, rounded up, they should be plus one against all of their opponents. Do you know what Missouri is right now, their actual turnover margin? I'm not sure if you've looked at Like minus two or something like that? It's minus one. Yeah. So their turnover luck, they are – Minus two in turnover luck. They are incredibly unlucky with turnovers. They are doing the right things, and they are not getting the ball. On the flip side, to your point, Kentucky, with everything that they face, all that stuff, their expected turnover margin should be plus 1.2. They're very active with their hands. Their actual turnover margin, plus three. Yeah. Their turnover luck is one and a half. It is top 20 in the nation they are incredibly lucky when it comes to turning the teams over i'm putting it in my preview for this week i am echoing your sentiment this has to change when you are evenly matched teams not like the same exact team but like different styles different ranks similar in, in, in quality you have to break it open with turnovers and Kentucky apparently is touched with the turnover fairy this year. Like, they have it all. Missouri doesn't. This has to be the game where that flips or you're going to get buried. So the other thing about these kinds of games is that it tells you a lot about Missouri's team. Mm. Missouri's mostly been bad at football since 2014. Yeah. Missouri's also not done a whole lot of winning against Kentucky since mm. 2014. Yes, I hear with the one win coming in 2020, the fake COVID season, I'm going to pretend it didn't happen because that season, I I basically forget half of the games that happened that year. Um, I anyways. remember that one, but yeah, sentiment is basically the same. Yeah. If you win this game against Kentucky, it tells you a lot about who you are as a team. If you lose this game against Kentucky, it tells you a lot about who you are as a team. Missouri learns who it is by how it performs against Kentucky. And for nearly a decade... These games have told Missouri, you are not very good. And it would be really nice if for the first time in a real football season since 2014, they found a way to come out on the right side of this game against the University of Kentucky. I I know we have cited this on the show multiple times. Kentucky is the boss of the midpoint SEC. They are, they are the middle management of the SEC. If you are better than them, you are a good SEC team. If you lose to them, you are not a very good SEC team. I heard a bonkers stat. Oh, I was about to pull this up. I'm so glad you're going to do it. Thank you. A bonkers stat. 
Here, so so uh, Bob Stoops, Mark Stoops did his call-in show, and the fan called in and said, "How do you feel about the fact that your Kentucky teams over the past eleven years have only two wins over SEC teams with that finished the season with the winning SEC record?" And Mark Stoops says, "I don't think that stat's correct." And they did the research, and that stat is correct. Boy, wow. Kentucky has beaten two SEC teams that finished with winning SEC records. Every other one that they have beaten has a losing SEC record. They are middle management. You have to be better than them, but you don't. You're not better than them unless you actually beat them and then finish off all your other opponents. It's just very simple. The crazy thing, the teams that they beat were 2018 Florida, who finished five and three in the SEC that year, also lost to Missouri. And 2017 South Carolina, who also finished five and three that year. Wow, that's it. Wow, that's that's the entire list of teams that they have beat who finished above 500 in the SEC. Now, Nate, we have been talking about expectations for Missouri this year and what they need to do in order for us to feel like it was a a good season. Mm-hmm. You know what they would need to do the rest of the way to go at least five and three in the SEC. They'd have to win four games. What have we talked about needing to do for us to feel pretty good about what this season, or at least what I've done. I, I said, nine you said wins. nine, you said nine. nine wins is my barometer for this being a quality Mizzou season. Well, guess what boys and girls, this would be the one, yep. this would be the one. Mm-hmm. That allows you to get to that place because if you beat Kentucky, now to get to nine, South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas. The path is very clear mm-hmm. to be able to get there. If you don't beat Kentucky, the path gets a little more difficult. Now you got to beat either Georgia on the road or Tennessee at home. This is a game you got to win, dude. Yep. It's a game you got to win. You got to find a way to win it for a million different reasons to get the monkey off of your back, to find a way to finally have some success against Kentucky, more specifically to find some success in Kentucky, which is a place that you've only won once, one time, one time. You got to do it. Was it Kroger Field when Mizzou won in 2013? I do not know. I'm looking it up. doesn't say i know it was commonwealth stadium for a very long time yeah it was still commonwealth stadium in 13 yeah so missouri's never won in kroger field the grocery it changed in 2017 yeah never won there last time they won at kentucky was 2013 when you had the anthracite on your shoulder pads that's how long ago it was win pass fail three to two by the way, that 2013 team finished two and ten. That was not the same Kentucky. No, it was that was Stoops' first year, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to prove. Pass fail. Win 59. Oh yeah, yeah. We should we should make that clear. By the way, this is very much a pass fail. Yeah. Like win this three to two. Win this game 199. I don't care. Just just. I mean, them. they're all pass fail from here on out, right? Uh, Maybe not Georgia. We'll see on South Carolina. That's going to be the second best offense they'll face all year, by the way. Mm. But mm. it's also Spencer Rattler, who just stinks mm. out the joint for most of the time. I don't know what to make of them. I, I can't decide if I think they're actually good. 
I don't, I'm not sure they know okay. if they're actually good. Uh, oh, 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 I want to, I want to bring this up. I know we talked about it pre-show. I want everyone else to hear it too. Um, so you don't act surprised. We, we're not, we're just going to ignore that, that part. Y'all Cody Schrader. Oh yeah. So far this year through six games, he is at 577 yards. If we predict that pace going forward, basically take this and double it. He will finish as the uh, with the 10th best single season rushing yard total in the history of University of Missouri. Did anyone see that coming? Anyone have that on their bingo me, card? Because no, I me. did. I, I no. did. I definitely did. All right. Go ahead and brag. Go ahead and brag. <laughs> I did not. I very much did not. He's he's having a great year. And I did not anticipate that from our little muscle hamster. Because I just figured he'd be a complimentary piece to Nathaniel Pete. And he's having a great year. Can't take that away. Tenth best in the season if if he keeps this up. And you know, he if he keeps this pace up, he'll finish one yard below Zach Abron's 2003 year. So that's kind of the the territory that he's in. And God, can some of these defenses, not Georgia, but some of them, he might be able to go even even further than that. Um, I'll give you one more. Did you know that uh Theo Weiss right now? If you just double the numbers, because we're halfway through the season, he is on pace to have tied for the most receiving touchdowns by a Missouri player since Bud Sasser in 2014. So Bud had 12 in 14? Yeah. He's, wow. He's on, he is on pace for eight, which would be tied for the, the next most since 2014. Now, of course, Luther has one more than him, so he would also sure. be but. I think that uh, that speaks to where Missouri's at in terms of its wide receivers this year. Its second guy is going to have the most receiving yeah. touchdowns. So just so we're all kept aware, the single season receiving touchdowns record, just all time. Denario Alexander, number one, 2009-14. Jeremy Macklin's number two with 13. Doriel Green-Beckham, uh, number three. Oh, wait, I missed, I missed the 2017 season, so... There were a couple out here. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because Bud Sasser, 12 and 14. Albert O had 11 in 2017. Sean Coffey had 10 in 2004. Chase Kaufman had 10. LaDamian Washington had 10. Jamon Moore had 10. And then Henry Marshall, shout out 1975, had nine. God, he must have been amazing. (laughs) Had to be. 1975. (laughs) He must have been incredible. My parents hadn't even met then. So, like, that's, that's a ways off. Yeah. He he must have been the dude. Capital T, capital T. Absolutely. Yeah. Um it Mizzou's offense this year is is putting together some special kinds of numbers. And this is a conversation for a different day, but I was asked this weekend for the first time, hey, do you think Kirby Moore is gonna get a head coaching job after this year? And I just wanted to crawl into a hole. No. Uh okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. But maybe. You're not allowed. <laughs> but not maybe. Allowed. What do we what job would he get? Akron? Would you give up Mizzou offensive coordinator for Akron? I, I don't know, man. I mean, may, maybe he won't, but I don't know. I feel like the OCs that are going to be called, you know, Sean Lewis – Right over in Colorado, he's probably going to get hey, a job. To be totally clear here, I would want to hire Kirby Moore as your head guy. 
so I would do it if I was like Notre Dame or like if if I'm one of the the power programs and I'm not talking about a head coach to be clear here uh if I'm one of the the power big time players I would say what's the offer needed to be because this dude has clearly come in and took what was a middling to poor offense and made it into one of the best offenses in the country overnight that matters he did do that yeah that matters but he's also playing, you know, that's a Jimmy's and Joe's offense, not an X's and O's thing, because he's not deviating super far from what we've seen before. I think the passing game is. I think the passing yeah. game is. I think the passing game looks a lot different than it did last year. Um, I, I think the things that we're seeing concept-wise are are much better and more consistent than what we saw last year. The running His... game I don't think is all that dissimilar, but everybody's no. running the same running game stuff, man. It's all outside zone, inside zone. Like, it's... It is. His Duo, scripting, like it's all the same stuff. His scripting, much better. Yeah. His in-game adjustments and calling on the fly, much better. I 100% agree on that. Um, I don't have the tactical mind to read the pass routes like you do or anyone else does, but like he is a better offensive manager when it comes to play calling. And Drinkwitz was for sure. So. I think I think the biggest stuff is just like he's finding ways to get his players into space. Yeah. Like he he understands the the importance of time and space as a passing game weapon. And I, I don't know that Eli Drinkwitz did much of that last year. I, I think it was too much of like let's get these guys the ball the the ball under their hands. And what his space was was at the line of scrimmage. So that yeah. way then we can create space for them. You're still seeing some of that, don't get me wrong, with Kirby. But a lot of it is let's get them the ball in space in the middle of the field and allow them to run free from there. Um, and, like, with Luther Burden, that has opened up a lot of what he's able to do after the catch as opposed no. to just getting it to him right away, allowing the defense <clears throat> to all just come straight towards him. It, it's just a very different way to go about it. But I, I've been highly impressed by him. I hope he doesn't leave um, because it's been very fun to watch this offense. I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is that they did not max out their assistant budget when they hired Kirby Moore. So yeah. there is room to grow. And if someone comes to him, like Mizzou has the ability to make an offer. And I'm sure even you know, if they last year with Blake out, Baker, right? Like yeah. you kept him around because you were willing to up what you what you had previously yeah. had to pay him. And even even if they were maxed out, I'm sure they'd find a way to offer him something more. But like they're finding ways to make it work for players. I think they can find a way to mm -hmm. make it work for their coaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel about this Kentucky game, buddy? Poor, as I always feel about every Missouri game heading into it. But looking at looking at the advanced stats, I was surprised at how gettable Kentucky is in that they are overly reliant on explosives on offense and, like, will give you a lot of stuff other than big plays on defense. Like, okay, there's a clear path here. There's a clear thing to shut down. There's a clear thing that, that you can take advantage of. I don't know if they'll be able to especially on the road, especially because they got the U and the K on their helmet. But, like, I don't feel good, but I, I feel better than I did yesterday. How do you feel? Not good. Yeah. Not good. Um, yeah. I just need to see it. Mm -hmm. I need to see it against this team first. And the thing that sucks the worst is, like, this is a good Kentucky team, not a great one, but a good one. And they're coming off of a really embarrassing loss. And all they're hear hearing all week long is Mark Stoops is overrated. Mark Stoops can't get it done against quality opponents, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so 
What are they going to do with that? Because it's not even coming from Mizzou. Mizzou has all the respect in the world for a program like Kentucky. I don't think there's anybody in the SEC that has more respect for Kentucky than Missouri fans because we've dealt with them every single year and have seen, hey, they're pretty good. Like, that's the yeah. team that we need to aspire to be. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's coming from their own fans, and therefore it can go one of two ways. On Saturday... Kentucky gets out to a slow start and their fans start booing them. And then the environment goes from being ultra supportive and highly intense to one that actually could end up being like a negative impact on their team. Could be. Or goes the other direction. Kentucky plays okay. It's kind of your typical back and forth start to the game. And then because they're at home and they've got something to prove, now Kentucky is the one with a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. So could go either way, but Mizzou just came off of a highly emotional loss as well. You don't know how that's going to impact them. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good read on this game. It's one of the first games this year that I don't, I don't really feel like I have a good grasp on. I feel like we've been pretty good on, even if we don't know exactly like what the score will be or what the spread will be, we've had a pretty good grasp on how these games will go for the most part, like middle Tennessee. We knew going to be a weird game. Memphis, hey, probably going to be closer than you guys want. I don't think they're ever going to feel like they're going to lose. K-State, legit 50-50 proposition. Vandy, you should be able to take care of them. Last week, high scoring, we'll kind of see 50-50 type of matchup. I think we were right on all of those things. Mm -hmm. I have no feel for this one. None. It could end 24-20. Wouldn't shock me. Could end 37-30. to Honestly, wouldn't shock me. And I, I don't know where it's going to land. I think it's going to be relatively close, and that's all I've really got for yeah. Well, Bill says Kentucky by 2.6 or whatever that's worth. I think that's similar to what FPI has for it as well. Yeah. Um, the Vegas spread is two and a half. So everybody's yeah, kind of right in that yeah. same range. And that's what you get for home field. So they basically mm -hmm. all are saying, eh, coin flip. It's coin flip, yep. So, oh. What's your prediction? <sighs> what did I say earlier? We'll say 30... 30-27. Good guys. Yeah. Just why not? I'm going to take the other side just because I don't want to put bad juju on Mizzou. That's fine. Um, I'm doing this for you, listener. 31-27, <laughs> Kentucky. All right. I hope to be wrong. Yeah. Night game at the Kroger. A little evening shopping. We'll see how it goes. And that's going to be our show today. Again, sorry for the weirdness, but you got an LSU review and a Kentucky preview all in the same show. So yay for you. And recruiting news. And recruiting news. Well, that wasn't so great, but you know, it's fine. We appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions from you all. Leave a comment or raise. We love all types of feedback from you. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, 
whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.